tried to cover absolutely everything, we would be here for years and years and years and years. And they would be very long sermons. And seeing as how I get the impression that people prefer it the other way around, not for years and years and years and reasonably short sermons, um, we're basically going to be covering the material in a broad sweep. So there'll be issues that are raised up in your mind as you read, as you hear this passage read and as you read it during the week. Talk with other believers about that. Hopefully we're, we're all having a look through John's Gospel. As you meet in small groups, have, have a conversation. Still dead? Oh, it's alive. <laughs> Someone prayed very quickly. Thank you. Um, so just as you go and you talk with people, have a conversation so you can dig up and, and, and plough through and meditate upon some of the things that are in this passage. This, this first few chapters of John talk about the first week really in Jesus' ministry. And this morning we're going to read from verse 19 through to verse 34, looking at the first two days in this week. And they relate to John's witness of who Christ is. As we mentioned last week, John is trying to point to Christ, that we will see him as the one who's creator of the world, who's Lord of the universe, who has come to bring us into this relationship with God. And there are signs and witnesses to Christ through this book that he thinks as we, as we look at that and as we consider that, that our hearts and our minds might be turned to follow this Jesus. And so we're going to read from verse 19 to verse 34 at some of the witness of John, the one who baptized. Let's read from verse 19. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, well, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. And then the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this 
is God's chosen one. John's witness, John the baptizer. We often call him John the Baptist. He wasn't a Baptist. <laughs> but he did baptize people, so it's probably easier. Um, John, the one who baptized, the baptizing John, John the baptizer, something else. Just so we don't confuse ourselves. All right, he, he was... John doesn't, John the Apostle doesn't tell us all the information about John the Baptist, but he had built up this following. He was an odd fellow, um, long hair, um, probably. <laughs> he, wore, uh, he wore weird clothes, camel hair, he ate weird food, he was always on a sugar high, he ate a lot of honey. And so he came and he lived, came out of the desert. And he came out, if you like, as the image of one of the Old Testament prophets. There'd been no prophecy for about 400 years. And suddenly he walks out of the desert, dressed like a bit of a loon, looking like a bit of a loon, eating weird food, and telling the Israelites that they needed to repent, pointing out to them the sin that was going on within Israel, the sin that was going on within their lives, and calling them to a public confession, a public, if you like, identification with their need to repent. That's what his baptism was. I don't want to go into a whole conversation on baptism, but in terms of what he was doing, they were identifying themselves with this need to repent, with the fact that they were sinful people, and they were doing this in a public way. So if you like, he was the one coming out and calling them, mentioning to them the sin that was going on and asking them to proclaim publicly that yes they were in need of a change in their behavior and normally when that happens people kind of shy away but God's spirit was working and the people flocked to hear and the people flocked to be able to identify in that public way through baptism the going into the water and the coming out the cleansing an identification with I need to repent If you look down the revivals through history within the church, they begin with prayer and they begin with repentance, with confession. People coming and acknowledging their need of the one who can save them, their need that in and of themselves they can't do anything. And this was what John was doing. As, as we read later on, he was going to testify, I've come to prepare a way for the one who's coming. I'm going to point to Christ for the one who can deal with this situation, if you like. He came and he declared. People flocked. He was building up a following. And the Jews is, is the way that it's written in the Greek. And in, in John's Gospel, it refers to those who were against Christ in the leadership. We read in the Synoptics, and we understand from the New Testament, there were others in the Jewish leadership who were not against Christ, but who secretly followed him. But those that were against him, and those that were to be against him, send this group of people down to John because he's raising up a following. He comes out of the desert like a prophet. And they say, I think, are you the Messiah? Is basically what they're asking. Are you the one we've been expecting? The one who's going to bring salvation? The one who's going to bring, they're thinking nationally, redemption, salvation from the Lord. And his Witness, the witness that he proclaims is, I am not 
the Messiah. I'm not the one that you need to look at. And very brief this morning, all I want to do is, is mention a couple of these testimonies of John for two reasons. One, I think it's important for us as Christians to work out how it is that we too might testify. How we too might give a testimony of Christ. How we too might participate like John did in pointing to Christ. We can learn that from this. So those of us who already know Christ, we should pick up some of this information so that we can be appropriate witnesses to Christ in a world that's lost. But there's also, as we, as we look at what John points to, a need for us to understand that some people amongst us have not yet turned to Christ. We've heard of Christ, we, we relate with the church, but we haven't yet given our hearts to him. And I just want to outline some of what John points to so that hopefully we might begin to respond to that as well. So the firstly, he says, I'm not him. I'm not the Messiah, I'm not the anointed one. He goes on in the past to say, I'm going to point to the one who is the anointed one. That's my purpose in my testimony, not to raise up an image or a practice of myself, but to point to Jesus. And I'd like us to think about that and the fact that we as a church and we as individual Christians, when we come along to witness and we come along to worship and we talk to people who aren't believers, we have of necessity this need to point to Christ. That's what Christians do. We don't point to ourselves. We, if we point to ourselves, we puff ourselves up. But what we fail to realise is that if the focus becomes on us, we are imperfect. We're not attractive. We're just like the people in John's day, in need of repentance. It's very, very hard to point to ourselves and be like us. That, that just doesn't work. When I first met my wife, who was at high school, where is she? I love telling stories. I thought she was a Christian. She went to youth group. She went to missionary conventions. Go figure, what non-Christian goes to missionary conventions? So I figured there was this lovely lady who was a Christian person, so worth getting to know. But one day I said to her something about being a Christian. She just looked at me. She said, I'm not a Christian. Why would I want to be a Christian? Had the conversation. She was better than they were. So that when she thought of Christianity, the things that she had heard, the things that she seen was to point to this group of people to be like them. She wouldn't be like them. She was already morally better than them in many ways. They were hypocritical in so many things. <coughs> Excuse me. What she had to learn and what she did is that you, becoming a Christian is to understand who Jesus is. So I'd encourage us, first point, as we're sharing with people, point to Christ in our lives. Point to Jesus. They came and in the conversation, they said, so if you're not him, are you Elijah? Um, the Old Testament prophesied that there would be a coming of Elijah I don't want to go into all the meaning of that, but basically he would, whatever it was that they were saying in terms of the importance of him, someone to be listened to, Elijah come back in the flesh, he said, no, that's not me. They said, well, are you the prophet? There was to be a prophet like Moses coming. And again, with all of their understanding, he was denying that. He was taking the focus off of himself. And he said, no, no, that's not me. They said, well, 
On what basis then, if you're not this important person who's bringing redemption, if you're not the Messiah, if you're not Elijah, and if you're not the prophet like Moses, what gives you the gall, is basically what they're saying, to come and baptise us for repentance? Baptism was something that was there, if you like, that you could do with Gentiles when they became Jews because they needed that cleansing to be Jewish in, in those days. He said, what is, where do you get off coming and baptising us for repentance? These were the Pharisees who were coming in. I suppose my question would be, were Pharisees good or bad? Not a rhetorical question. Both. If you like, the Pharisees were the Bible-believing evangelicals of their day. They were those who went to BSF. That was them. They had an understanding of the Scripture. They wanted to live the Scripture out. But in many ways, they had forgotten in that focus on, on living right, they had fo- lost the focus of living in relationship with God. They had developed an us and them attitude. And this is what's being evidenced here. They're saying, why should we come to that repentance? How, what gives you the right to do that? How can you ask non-Jews to do that? You know, what's the opportunity that John could have taken? I think that we in our day do in that situation. He could have said, well, okay, let's leave the sin stuff out of it. We'll step back from that kind of judgmentalism and we'll tell you all the benefits of coming to live for Jesus. Let's just drop the repentance by baptism stuff and let me tell you what it's like just to have this relationship with Jesus. He could have done that. But he didn't. He said, no, I've come and the things that I'm doing are to prepare the way for the one who's coming. This is the second part of his witness that I think we need to remember. And that is that when we point to Jesus, we're not pointing to him just as the one who comes and embraces us in our loneliness, who helps us through our difficulties, who encourages us in our pain, But he's the one who has come to deal with sin. He's the one who's come to deal with the separation between us and God. He's come to deal with that. He wants to bring us back into relationship with God, but he does that in his ministry, in his life, his death and resurrection, by dealing with this barrier. Sin in electronics. (laughs) That's what he's come to deal with. And therefore for us, if we're going to go out and witness and not bring people to that understanding that they are separated from God, we're going to find that our witness is faulty, it's lacking. Because we're not offering anything different than everybody else offers. People say, well, what right do you have to come to tell me that? And we have to be like John and say, well, I'm not telling you for myself. I'm not in this for this judgmental you, me. 
In other words, John wasn't there saying, I'm better than you, you need to come and be like me. He's coming saying, the one who I'm talking about, I'm not even worthy to tie up his sandals. He's the one I want to share with you about. But in order for you to understand who he is, you have to understand your relationship to God at the moment and your need for a saviour. Now, I don't know about you, whether you still continue to think of your sinfulness. We remembered communion this morning. We as a church often, I'm not sure us as a church, but as a Western church, we've moved away from the concept of understanding that we as people are fallen folk. Sin is in the world. In this congregation are those who treat their spouses badly. It's called abuse. They're controlling. They yell and abuse their children. Emotionally, physically, sexually. There are probably people here who have had abortions. People who cheat on their taxes. People who have stolen from their workplaces. People who have got broken marriages. People who don't honour their parents. People who have had affairs. People who lust after others, who watch pornography. Is that said to make you feel bad? No. But it is said to make you realise that every single one of you, myself included, is in need of this saviour. And until we recognise that, then there's no impetus to come to him. People say, well, I can't can't take that message out to the world. I have to take a different message because if I take that message out to the world, are they going to listen? The answer is yes, they do. Because the world out there knows exactly that they're steeped in sin like we are. If we take that message, though, like the Pharisees did, which is you need to do this to get right with God, If you don't do this, you're outside. You're not like us. You have to go through this process to be like us. Then yes, people don't want to hear that. But when people understand that God has this message, this understanding for them to realize their brokenness so that he can redeem them and bring them to himself, the work of the Holy Spirit does work in their hearts and people come to that understanding And they want and they need to know the one who redeems them. This is the second part of John's witness. Firstly, always point to Jesus. Secondly, be open and honest about the reason why Jesus came. He came to redeem to himself a lost and fallen world of which we are a part. Don't shy away from that in your testimony. Thirdly, the next day, that's what he said to the Pharisees. There's one who's coming who is holy, who's mighty, and all I'm doing is preparing a way for him. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, 
A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. That's why I came baptizing with water for repentance, that I might point the way to the Lamb of God who is going to deal with the sin. It's no good just outlining the judgment upon people because of their sinfulness. It's no good just having people recognize their sin and then saying, you need to change, you need to be better, because that's not John's message. His message is you need to recognize your sin, you need to recognize your fallenness before God because there is one who has dealt with that. And he points and he speaks to the people who have come in repentance and said, this is the one I'm speaking about. Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Third part of our witnessing. It's not enough just to do that nice living. It has to come out in words. We have to talk to people. We have to point. We have to talk about Jesus. Living that good life before people, showing that kindness to them, what that tends to do is it differentiates us. It sets us up in that pharisaical mode. We are different. Come and be good like us. You know, pay for coffee for the person in the car behind you and say, I did it for Jesus. That's weird. <laughs> I don't mind the coffee, but what does that tell people about who Jesus is, what he does? We have to have that conversation. You say, I'm not that sort of witnesser. I'm the sort of witness who takes the back step. That's not witnessing. That's withdrawing. That's setting up that we're different from folk. It doesn't have to be much. It just has to be the comment, the question, the bringing of God into our conversation, but with the aim to point to people to say, I know the one who can deal with your sin. Jesus, Lamb of God, has come to take away the sin of the world. He's the one that you need to relate to. Next week, when we look at this, he points to his people who are following him, who, who have come and understand the need for repentance. Lastly, right at the end as he's talking with them, he says that he saw the Spirit of God coming down and resting upon Jesus, and he would be the one who was going to baptize people with the Holy Spirit. That they could identify with him. And this, again, the, the, we won't go into the meaning of baptism by the Spirit at this point in time, but this idea of this identification this recognition, and basically what he's talking about is God's promises in the Old Testament, to have this relationship with his people where he dwells within them, where he leads them and guides them into a way of righteousness and truth and dealing with one another in grace. That has to be a part of our message also to people. Your sin can be dealt with, but the purpose of dealing with sin is that you have this renewal of relationship with God. A renewal of relationship with God which changes 
from the inside out who you are. It changes the way you think, it changes the way you feel, it changes the way you act. So that the sin which has become a part of your life is dealt with. Yes, it's a process, but that God has redeemed you so that he can have this relationship with you. He comes and he dwells within you. You are hidden in him and you become more like him. You become a part of his family. This is a part of the witness that we also have to do. Applications for us. Firstly, you guys, if you already know Christ and you follow him, our responsibility is to go out and share that with the world. Yes, in, in, in our lifestyle, that the evidence of Christ living within us is evident to the world that they come and say, just who are you? <laughs> What's going on? And our responsibility and witness is to point to Jesus. Don't look at me. Don't look at us. Look at him. Recognize you're lost. You're sinful. You're wicked. But that Jesus has come to deal with that, that you can be cleansed from it and you can have a relationship with God. He lives within you and he is renewing you. You're a part of his family. And I challenge you as a Christian person, this week take an opportunity to share that message with someone. Find the opportunity. Make the opportunity. Pray for the opportunity. That's what we're called upon to be. And if we don't do that, we're failing in our responsibilities. And it doesn't matter whether you've been a Christian for 50 years and you figure you're too old to do that anymore, leave that for the young ones. Or you've been a Christian for two weeks, one week, two days. That's your job. It's your responsibility. Be a witness to Jesus. Called to be a part of his family to point to him. And then there are going to be some people here who really aren't sure about this Jesus thing yet. Yes, you like the fellowship, you appreciate the singing, and you understand that Jesus is there as, as a guide and a protector. Realize this. He has come that we can have a relationship with him. He has come to cleanse us from our sin. The deepest, darkest part of your heart that you don't think anyone knows about, he sees. He wants to shine his light into it, cleanse you from it, relieve you from your guilt and your shame, renew your spirit and bring you into a right relationship with him that you can live as his child. That's what he wants. If you have not yet experienced that, I challenge you, read through the Gospel of John, talk to some Christians that they might point you to what Christ has done, that they might show you him, and that you might have that relationship with him. That's what he calls us to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for us as your people in this place. I pray that we might truly share Jesus with the lost and dying world that we might take what we know, whether it is small or encyclopedic, with the aim of going to a world to share with them that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who has come to bring them into a relationship with God, to change them.
He will deal with shame and guilt, sin and darkness, and he will bring light and life instead of death. Father, I encourage each one here, and I ask that you work in our hearts, that as a community of faith, we corporately as well as individually will point to Christ. We will declare what he does. Father, I do pray for those who, who are here who have not yet identified themselves with Jesus, acknowledge their sin, their brokenness, their fallenness, their shame, and ask for his cleansing, what he did on the cross to be applied to them, and renewal of their hearts and, and a new life in relationship with God. And I ask that they might take this opportunity this morning to do that. Father, I pray these things in Jesus' name.